Part six, chapter thirteen of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Cain. Part six, chapter thirteen. Caesar visited Kate at Castle Rushen. He found her lodged in a large and light apartment, once the dining room of the Lords of Man, indulged with every comfort, and short of nothing but her liberty. As the turnkey pulled the door behind him, Caesar lifted both hands and cried, The Lord is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Then he inquired if Pete had been there before him, and being answered no, he said, The children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. After that he fell to the praise of the deemster, who had not only given Kate these mercies, comfortable to her carnal body, if dangerous to her soul, but had striven to lighten the burden of her people at the time when he had circulated the report of her death, knowing she was dead indeed, dead in trespasses and sins, and choosing rather that they should mourn her as one who was already dead in fact, than feel shame for her as one that was yet alive in iniquity. Finally he dropped his handkerchief on to the slate floor, went down on one knee by the side of his tall hat, and called on her in prayer to cast in her lot afresh with the people of God. "'May her lightness be rebuked, O Lord,' he cried. "'Give her to know that until she repents she hath no place among the children. And, Lord, succour thy servant in his hour of tribulation. Let him be well girt up with Christian armour. Help him to cry aloud amid his tears and his lamentations. Though my heart and hers should break, thy name shall not be dishonoured, my Lord and my God.' Rising from his knee and dusting it, Caesar took up his tall hat and left Kate as he had found her, crouching by the fire inside the wide ingle of the old hall, covering her face and saying nothing. He was in this mood of spiritual exaltation as he descended the steps into the keep and came upon a man in the dress of a prisoner sweeping with a besom. It was Black Tom. Caesar stopped in front of him, moved his lips, lifted his face to the sky, shut both eyes, then opened them again, and said in a voice of deep sorrow, "'Oh, Thomas, Thomas Quilliam, I'm taking grief to see thee, man, an old friend whose hand has rested in my hand, and swilling the floor of a prison. Well, I warn thee often, but thou wast ever stony ground, Thomas, and now thou must see for thyself whether I was right, that honesty is the best policy. Look at thee, and look at me. The Lord has delivered me, and prospered me even in temporal things.' I have lands and I have houses, and what hast thou thyself? Nothing but thy conscience and thy disgrace. Even thy very clothes they have taken away from thee, and they would take thy hair itself if thou had any. Black Tom stood with feet flatly planted apart, rested himself on the shank of his besom, and said, Don't be playing cumag, shindy with me, Mr. Holy Ghoster. It isn't honesty that's making the difference between us at all, it's luck. You've won and I've lost. You've succeeded and I've failed. You're wearing your chapel hat and I'm in this bit of a saucepan lid. But you're only a regular old Pharisee anyway. Caesar waved his hand. I can't take the anger with thee, Thomas, he said, backing himself out. I thought the devil had been chained since our last camp meeting. But I was wrong, seemingly. He goeth about still like a raging lion, seeking whom he may devour. "'Don't be trying to knock me down with your Texas,' said Thomas, shouldering his bosom. "'Any cock can crow on his own midden.' 
You can't help it, Thomas, said Caesar, edging away. It isn't my old friend that's blaspheming at all. It's the devil that has entered into his heart and is rending him. But cast the devil out, man, or hell will be thy portion. I was there last night in my dreams, Caesar, said Black Tom, following him up. Oh, Lord Devil, let me in, says I. Where'd ye come from, says he? The Isle of Man, says I. I'm not taking any more from there till my bishop comes, says he. Who's that, says I? Bishop Caesar, the publican, who else, says he? I marvel at thee, Thomas, said Caesar, half through the small door of the portcullis. But the sons of Belial have to fight hard for his throne. I'll pray for thee, though, that it be not remembered against thee, when, God willing, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That night Caesar visited the deemster at Elm Cottage. His eyes glittered, and there was a look of frenzy in his face. He was still in his mood of spiritual pride, and when he spoke it was always with the these and the thous and in the high pitch of the preacher. "'The Balawain is dead, Your Honour," he cried. "'They wouldn't have me tell thee before, because of thy body's weakness, but now they suffer it. Groanings and moanings and sterics of torment. Terrible, sir, terrible.' took a notion he would have water poured out for him at the last. It couldn't wash him clean, though, and shouting with his dying voice, I've sinned, O God, I've sinned. Oh, I delivered my soul, sir. He can clear me of that anyway. Lay hold of a free salvation, says I. I've not lived a right life, says he. Truth enough, says I. You've lived a life of carnal freedom, but now is the appointed time. Say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Too late, Mr. Cregeen, too late, says he, and the word was scarce out of his mouth when he was key-cold in a minute, and gone into the night of all flesh that's lost. Well, it was his own son that killed him, sir, robbed him of every silver sixpence and ruined him. The last mortgage he raised was to keep the young man out of prison for forgery. Bad, sir, bad. To indulge a child to its own damnation is bad. A human infirmity, though, and I'm feeling for the poor sinner myself being tempted, that is to say inclined, but thank the Lord for his strengthening arm. Is he buried, asked Philip? Buried enough, and a poor funeral too, sir, said Caesar, walking the room with a proud step, the legs straightened, the toes conspicuously turned out. Driving rain and sleet, sir, the wind in the trees, the grass wet to your calf, and the parson in his white smock under the umbrella. Nobody there to speak of, neither. Only myself and the tenants, mostly. Where was Ross? Gone, sir, without waiting to see his foolish old father pushed under the sod. Well, there was not much to wait for, neither. The young man has been a besom of fire and burnt up everything. Not so much left as would buy a rope to hang him. And Balawain is mine, sir, mine in a way of speaking, my son-in-law's anyway, and he has given me the right to have and to hold it. Oh, a Sabbath time, sir, a Sabbath time. I made up my mind to have it the night the man struck me in my own house in Sulby. He betrayed my daughter at last, sir, and took her from her home, and then her husband lent six thousand pounds on mortgage. Do what you like with it, said he, and I said to myself, The man shall starve. He shall be a beggar. He shall have neither bread to eat nor water to drink nor a roof to cover him and the moment the breath was out of the old man's body, I foreclosed. Philip was trembling from head to foot. Do you mean, he faltered, that that was your reason? It is the Lord's hand on a rascal, said Caesar, and proud am I to be the instrument of his vengeance. 
God moves in a mysterious way, sir. Oh, the Lord is opening his word more and more, and I have more to tell thee, too. Ballawhaine would belong to thyself, sir, if every one had his rights. It was thy grandfather's inheritance, and it should have been thy father's, and it ought to be thine. Take it, sir, take it on thy own terms. It is worth a matter of twelve thousand, but thou shalt have it for nine, and pay for it when the Lord gives thee substance. Thou hast been good to me and to mine, and especially to the poor lost lamb who lies in the castle to-night in her shame and disgrace. Little did I think I should ever repay thee, though. But it is the Lord's doings. It is marvellous in our eyes, deep in unfathomable minds. Caesar was pacing the room and speaking in tones of rapture. Philip, who was sitting at the table, rose from it with a look of fear. Frightful, frightful, he muttered. A mistake, a mistake. The Lord makes no mistake, sir, cried Caesar. But what if it was not Ross, began Philip. Caesar paid no heed. What if it was not Ross? Caesar glanced over his shoulder. What if it was someone else, said Philip. Caesar stopped in front of him. Someone you have never thought of, someone you have respected and even held in honour. Who then, said Caesar huskily. Mr. Cregeen, said Philip, it is hard for me to speak. I had not intended to speak yet, but I should hold myself in horror if I were silent now. You have been living in awful error. Whatever the cost, whatever the consequences, you must not remain in that error a moment longer. It was not Ross who took away your daughter. Who was it? cried Caesar. His voice had the sound of a cracked bell. Philip struggled hard. He tried to confess. His eyes wandered about the walls. As you have cherished a mistaken resentment, he faltered, so you have nourished a mistaken gratitude. Who? Who? cried Caesar, looking fixedly into Philip's face. Philip's rigid fingers were crawling over the papers on the table like the claws of crabs. They touched the summons from the Chancery Court, and he picked it up. Read this, he said, and held it out to Caesar. Caesar took it, but continued to look at Philip with eyes that were threatening in their wildness. Philip felt that in a moment their positions had been changed. He was the judge no longer, but only a criminal at the bar of this old man, this grim fanatic, half mad already with religious mania. The Lord of hosts is mighty, muttered Caesar, and then Philip heard the paper crinkle in his hand. Caesar was feeling for his spectacles. When he had liberated them from the sheath, he put them on the bridge of his nose upside down. With the two glasses against the wrinkles of his forehead and his eyes still uncovered, he held the paper at arm's length and tried to read it. Then he took out his red print handkerchief to dust the spectacles. Fumbling spectacles and sheath and handkerchief and paper in his trembling hands together, he muttered again in a quavering voice, as if to fortify himself against what he was to see. The Lord of hosts is mighty. He read the paper at length, and there was no mistaking it. Quilliam versus Quilliam and Christian, Philip. He laid the summons on the table and returned his spectacles to their sheath. His breathing made noises in his nostrils. Uch, chani! Woe is me, he muttered. Uch, chani! Uch, chani! Then he looked helplessly around and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The vengeance that he had built up day by day had fallen in a moment into ruins. His hypocrisy was stripped naked. I see how it is, he said in a hoarse voice. The Lord has to save me, to punish me. It is the public house. 
Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What's gained on the devil's back is lost under his belly. I thought I was a child of God, but the deceitfulness of riches has choked the word. Uch chani, uch chani. My prosperity has been like the quails, only given with the intent of choking me. Uch chani. His spiritual pride was broken down. The Almighty had refused to be made a tool of. He took up his hat and rolled his arm over it the wrong way of the nap. Halfway to the door he paused. Well, I'll be laving you. Good day, sir, he said, nodding his head slowly. The Lord's been knowing what you were all the time, seemingly. But what's the use of his knowing? He never tells on nobody. And I've been calling on sinners to flee from the wrath, and he's been letting the devils make a mock at myself. Uch chani, uch chani. Philip had slipped back in his chair, and his head had fallen forward on the table. He heard the old man go out. He heard his heavy step drop slowly down the stairs. He heard his foot dragging on the path outside. Uch chani, uch chani. The word rang in his heart like a knell. Gemma Lord, who had been out in the town, came back in great excitement. Such news, Your Honour, such splendid news. What is it, said Philip, without lifting his head? They're signing petitions all over the island, asking the Queen to make you governor. God in heaven, said Philip, that would be frightful. End of Part 6, Chapter 13